Hello, this is Erin Weir. The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with my co-host, Gail Dobie of Gail Dobie Coaching and Consulting. We are honored to have nationally acclaimed designer Corey Damon Jenkins on the podcast today. This was recorded earlier this year for our Genius Exchange event, and we felt the message was timely to share with you before the new year begins. Corey mixes vibrant colors with layered patterns to create architecturally inspired spaces that are at once polished, invented, and unexpected. Taking cues from runway fashion, his projects feature luxurious and refined materials. Corey's goal is, quote, to ensure that my clients' homes are always classic, livable, and without an expiration date, states the designer. Corey regularly collaborates with architects on new construction projects and renovations. His creative range encompasses many disciplines, including neo-traditional, modern, and transitional design. Corey has directed commercial and residential projects throughout the United States and Canada, and his firm maintains offices in Detroit, Michigan, and New York City. Corey has been inducted into El Decor's coveted 2020 A-list, which touts 125 of the best designers in the world. His bold interiors have graced the front covers of top shelter publications, including House Beautiful and Traditional Home. His brand has also been featured in Architectural Digest, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Detroit News, and Vanity Fair. Televised audiences declared Corey the winner of HDTV's competition series, Show House Showdown. And he was also the recipient of numerous industry honors, including Traditional Homes, New Traditional Rising Star of Design Award, Fashion Group International's Night of Stars Award for Interior Design, and the D&D Building Star on the Rise Award. In 2019, he was invited to design the formal library for the prestigious Kipps Bay Decorator Show House. And most recently, Corey has appeared as a guest design expert on the Rachel Ray Show and Open House TV, and also inducted to Architectural Digest AD100. Philanthropy is highly important to Corey. He advocates for several charities, including the Kipps Bay Boys and Girls Club, March of Dimes, Housing Works, and the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. His involvement with such endeavors stems from his deep love of community and his lifelong passion for all things Detroit. Corey says, we're really here for such a brief moment in time. So we have to make it count. Live beautifully. Corey, it is such a pleasure to see you and I'm so excited for you. You have all these great things that are coming up in your life. And let's talk about your first one, which is such a big coup for you. And I know you're excited about it, which is the A-list for El Decor. So tell me about that. What's that like? Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be with you today. Yeah, El Decor A-list. That is a meteor crashing into my into my orbit into my world it's a, good meteor it's a yeah it's, it's it's when i say that it's like when i, when I say the meteor you know i always speak in analogies you know something big hits into the shock wave right and that's like a shock wave that i was not expecting and i'm very honored and, and incredibly moved by it we had our virtual um, um a-list toast 
this a couple of days ago this week and to see, you know, 145 uh, designers representing 125 firms um, on this gigantic Zoom call. And you see so many top renowned, legendary, you know, designers and tastemakers who I have looked up to. You know, all those big names are just incredible talents. And to see my own little tile up there next to theirs with the editors of El Decor, it's very surreal. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, 2020 has been a, a bit of a weird year. It's been one, uh, flush with seriously, you know, big downs, but this has been a really big up and I will take what I can get in 2020. This is great. Oh, you <laughs> so deserve that. It is such a great honor for you. And I'm just glad that you, this is your year. What a great year to have your name on that big screen with everybody. So congratulations. Thank well, you. let's talk about your journey because getting to be a designer, I can imagine, was quite an interesting choice for you. So tell us about that. Well, it's funny, you know, we, we started out talking about the El Decor A list, right? And how that has been such a huge honor. And these kinds of things, they're, they're great when they happen, but I find that God and the universe blesses us after we put in the hard work. So that's yes. like a blessing. But my story, as far as launching my firm, came from a lot of strife and stress and struggle, uh, the three S's there. And so uh, I launched my firm uh, back in 2009, uh, the fall of 2009. Yeah, amazing. Um, I had had a, a fairly lucrative career uh, in the automotive industry and on the corporate side, uh, designing uh, executive offices and, you know, employees, cubicle spaces, uh, working with different um, companies like Herman Miller and brands like that to design the spaces. And I did that for about 10 years as an indirect buyer. And then I got laid off um, in 2007 when the recession hit really hard. And so I felt sorry for myself for a while and moped around the house for about 11 months and um, had to make some really big changes, Gail. I had to give up my, my beautiful condo my luxury uh, sedan, my Volvo that I was driving, health insurance, all those things went away because when you lose your job, your salary, certain benefits go along with that in this country. And so um, to be thrust from that reality to going to the unemployment agency and having to you know, wait for this little $600 check every two weeks in the prior life, I would spend that on a jacket. And now I'm having to make that stretch and cover all of my expenses for the month. So I gave up the condo, moved to the to a, the apartment, a flat that was much more within my financial means at the time. I just didn't want to touch my 401k or my savings. And so as a result of not trying to touch those resources, I had to cut back on my living expenses in a very dramatic way. And that brought on a very intense depression, right? Because I think for men and women, our ability to take care of ourselves is a huge part of our identity and our self-esteem is damaged when we have to get up so much in such a short period of time. So I went through that uh, cycle of uh, feeling sorry for myself. And um, then I started getting back into the industry as far as, okay, I'm going to return to interior design. I applied for many jobs. Everyone was either not hiring or there was like 50 or 60 people vying for one opportunity. So I didn't get anywhere there. I started working at Robert Allen Beacon Hill as a stock boy. I was changing light bulbs and wiping down mirrors and wrapping up artwork and furniture and hoisting it into 
designers' cars in the back of their their trucks and getting memos. I was a memo librarian as well. So, you know, big ups to all the memo <laughs> librarians out there. Love um, that. My, our, our sample librarians. I am. I always bring them like candy and chases. I know what it's like to have you know very impatient, very smooth designers waiting for their samples. Get me my sample. I was that person that was getting those samples, right? And so it's very humbling, very humbling experience. And then I lost that job in 2008. I was mm. there for four months, and at that point, the economy was just such a shattered situation. I got laid off from that. So then I decided to launch my own design firm. And designers in the community laughed at me. And they were like, ha, 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 the stock boy from, from Robert Allen, the boy who wore chocolate, Egyptian cotton smock. He's now going to become this great interior designer. Ha, 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 whatever. And they literally were like laughing wow. me out of the design center. It was very much like a Cinderella type situation because I was that person that was waiting on them. And now I want to go to the ball, right? And, um, and also the ball I went. I, I rented a car from Enterprise. I mapped out the local area as far as a high-end neighborhoods that had the, 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 the clients with the network to afford an interior designer. And in the dead of winter, I began knocking on doors, uh, 779 doors wow. over a period of several months. And I had a very simple um, spiel, Gail. I was, my name is Corey Damon Jenkins. I'm an interior decorator. Are you in need of decorating services today? That was my statement. Uh, 99% of those doors were not answered. Uh, people come to the door, they look out, they think you're either a salesman or one of Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't answer, they walk away, <laughs> right? And um, there were a few times where people, again, laughed me off construction sites. I would go to a site where a house was being built, these massive 10, 15,000 square foot jobs. And I'm like, is the homeowner here or is the, uh, is the, is the builder here or the, or the architect here? And of course they had a designer. No one's going to build a house of that size and scope and not have one. But I was like, hey, are they looking for a designer? And I remember once, you know, the, the contractors were having lunch and they were sitting outside and they were literally laughing me off the site. Like, you know, get this guy out of here. So it was very, very humbling. And um, I had set a goal, Gail, for 1,000 doors, right? Wow. And I got so discouraged, for one, because I was tired of all the rejection. Um, I think it was the, the, the double whiplash of having lost my job twice and then all these constant rejections, 700 plus rejections, back to back to back, was a lot for my psyche. So I, I revised my goal down from 1,000 doors to 800. And I told myself that if I don't get a job by 800 doors, I'll just go to Starbucks, be a, become a barista. Is that what a, a male? I think they are. <laughs> The, the East threw me off there a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, I saw I'll just work there and then I will get insurance through Starbucks and just wait this thing out until whatever. And then on the 779th door, a uh, really lovely couple, a physician and his wife answered and let me in. They made me wait about three weeks to give me a decision because it was the, at the end of the year. Uh, they wanted to get through Christmas. And sure enough, they called and they said, we have a nice budget for you. We're going to give you a few rooms. Knock yourself out. And I did, and um, I hired a beautiful high-end photographer to photograph the spaces, put them up on my website that I designed myself through GoDaddy.com. Wow. And big ups. I couldn't afford to hire a webmaster, so I just took myself you know, through it uh, and got a friend of mine named Daniel to really help me pull things together. And then, um, long story short, HGTV uh, saw my work online. They were combing Michigan for diverse talent for a reality competition show. And um, I didn't call them back at first. This is around April, April Fool's Day. 
And so I thought it was a joke. I thought someone was messing with me. Um, but then the director called back again, the casting director. He's like, look, I called you twice already. You might want to give me a call back. This is a really big opportunity. I called him back. I auditioned. I got cast. And then I won. And, wow. Uh, that catapulted me to bigger, you know, bigger and better things. But the point that I'm trying to make here with the whole L Decor thing, people think about all the blessings and privileges, but none of that would have happened if I had not on the 779 doors first. So the moral of the story is if you want to go to the ball, Cinderella, you have to put in the work. Only then, there's no fairy godmother's going to just sprinkle you in into a new reality. You have to hustle for it. I had to make my own dress and get my own pumpkin. And you know, find my own <laughs> I love it. And, and get myself to the ball, and so I'm very happy to be here now. That's oh the my that's the, the truncated version of my story. I'm sorry, I'm so long winded. Uh, no, that's <laughs> perfect. So uh, when I hear this, it makes me think of what some hallmarks of your personality. Of course, you're just a genuinely warm and um, charismatic guy. And then on the other side of that, it's that grit and determination that have define who you are and you just didn't give up you just went out there and hustled and you work hard and so when i hear other people that get frustrated then they give up because it's not easy and the clients just don't come to you i think of wow look at Corey, 800 doors you were willing to do 800 doors incredible i was hungry I mean, yeah. me, I like I like to work out right in the gym. I, I had mm-hmm. a, a a decent physique before all that recession stuff hit. To afford a gym membership, to eat healthy, a whole foods—that's a very expensive lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So to give all it up and to go from that from whole foods to ramen noodles and trying to figure out different ways to make a spam casserole is a huge upset to a person's lifestyle. So I did it not just for the angle of uh, I, 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 certainly, I, I did not do it for a prestige, Gail. I did it because I was hungry. Like yes. I was emotionally hungry for validation. Mm-hmm. I was physically hungry to get back to my former way of life. And mm-hmm. I think that as long as any designer has a real drive, um, they can accomplish anything. But you have to be willing to do it. Even if you do have a, a safety net beneath you somehow, maybe it's a spouse does a good job and whether your thing works out or not, um, you can still fall back on that income. If you really want to do it and be, you know, be successful at it, you have to approach it as if you do not have that safety, security, that safety net. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way you can really have that grit and that drive to mm-hmm. overcome any challenges. How do you feel about things now, now that you've made it to the level where you're, you're getting recognized by your peers and by the media and for the, by people that really are the ones that make your future career get bigger and bigger? How does sure. this feel to you right now? I'm at the ball, right? And you're having a ball. blast. So I'm having a blast. The goal is to stay past midnight at this point, right? So and you will. <laughs> I, I hope so. Um, but I, I say staying past midnight from the angle of I had to continue to hustle. Cinderella was dancing herself around that room until it was time to go. My goal is to keep dancing. So I'm dancing as hard as I can. I am still taking on client projects. I am still working on new licensing collaborations. I'm still doing podcasts and op-eds and reaching out to the community and reaching out with charity, you know, working with these kids like Kips Bay Boys and Girls Club and Variety of the Children. You, you keep dancing. You don't just go to the ball and then just, hey, I made it. I'm going to just chill and hang out here. You keep dancing because the party's only over when you say it's over mm-hmm. and when you stop contributing and participating so i'm enjoying the ball 
but I'm too busy really dancing to take notice of who else is there, if that makes any sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think you're focused. I can get this about you too. You're very authentic and you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for somebody else. And there's obviously a lot of drive and determination and just that, um, I don't know, just something about you. I can see you just don't want to give up and you're going to, you're going to succeed no matter what because you are a successful person on the inside. I hope so. For sure. Absolutely. Well, talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges that you might have experienced along the way that others might not have. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Oh, well, there's been uh, lots of setbacks. I posted on my Instagram about a woman who thought I was white on the phone when we talked. You know, I I have a, a very standard, you know, regular name. And so she thought I was a Caucasian gentleman on the phone. We had a great conversation, very lively. And then when I showed up to her house to do the walkthrough for the initial consultation, she opens the door and she looks past my shoulder. She's like, where's the designer? And she thought I was the assistant. And I says, no, I'm Corey Damon Jenkins. And her entire face just darkened, Gail. She was like, oh, you're not who I was expecting. You're not who I thought you would be. And in the end, I'm going to give you the truncated Cliff Notes version of the story. She dismissed me. Uh, she says, we're not going to be hiring a designer today. And so... Overnight, the gregarious, outgoing, lovely woman that just could not wait to meet me and hire me based upon my work, she had seen one of my rooms in a magazine, that person just dissipated when she saw my my skin complexion and realized that I was not going to be what she expected uh, to Mm. be working in her household. So there are still things that I face that are very unique from my other colleagues. And then there's also the pressures of just running a firm, running a firm in, in these turbulent times. We've had a very up and down weirdo economy, even before COVID-19. We were never really 100. So I, I, I'm always concerned about taking care of my, I call them my girls, my staff. I have an all-female mm-hmm. staff. I'm a huge women's rights activist. Ooh, 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 oh, gotta, good for you. Gotta, Love gotta, you. Gotta, gotta, gotta support uh, women's rights. Not that I won't hire a man, but I do give women uh, first choice, preferential mm-hmm. um, employment opportunities to uh, give them uh, equal opportunities for employment. Um, but then I got to support them, right? And take keep them employed. They have children and families to look after. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure when you have so many other families and households dependent upon what comes from between these two ears as far as creative output. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of responsibility when you're running a nest of, um, of uh, designers and, and birds and other things. So. Mm. Well, let's go back to what you just talked about. I I think that story is just shocking to me about what you just went through with that woman. And how has that affected how you have marketed yourself and maybe your feelings about how to interact with people so that they're not making a judgment based on your skin color because you are a talented man. You happen to have a dark skin color, but you're a talented, talented designer. Sure. Well, I think that that's, I I appreciate you saying that. It's not easy. You know, when I first launched the company uh, in 2009, I refused to put my face on my website. Mm. I wanted my work to speak for itself. Mm. Now, my other colleagues had pictures of themselves draped over sofas and (laughs) draped over their chairs and, you know, (laughs) the whole fashionable, you know, thing. And they were very proud to show off their faces. I living in a mostly all white, you know, neighborhood in this area, I was I was concerned that people would not give me a shot 
because of my complexion. They, you know, we're, we're told as, as black children, we're told we have to work twice as hard to get half the opportunity. Mm. And that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of what um, people of color face in this country. And sure enough, that woman and the experience with her reinforced the trauma of, mm. of what that experience is like. You know, the one time that I talked to someone on the phone who sees my work for genuinely what it is, and sure enough, I show up to her door and she dismisses me because she made it quite clear that she didn't like what she saw. And then I thought, well, how many people don't even call me because they do know what I look like? And I, I've seen people at the design center in my, in my local area with other designers who have copies of House Beautiful, copies of Traditional Home Magazine with my work, paper clips open with sticky notes and notes and their designer is using as a template to design their home. And these people live locally. I, I asked after, of course, the client got a site, but mm-hmm. I asked these people, these, these designers, you know, who's that, that one of your clients? Oh yeah, we're building a new home over here. Is she a, a returning client? No, she just called us you know, a few months ago. I'm thinking, okay, so wait, so you saw my work somewhere. I'm local. You didn't even call me. If you want me, you called and we didn't, have a good chemistry or my price came in too high, whatever. You didn't even give me a chance to compete for the job. So that experience with that woman, Gail, I think is a punchline. It's a problem we have in our country. How many people don't call on people of color because they see that that's the issue? So I'm saying all that to say that I'm, a, I'm very proud of being a five foot nine African-American gay male. I can't change any of those things. That is the way God assembled me. That's how I've been designed. That's how I've been put together. Um, and I'm confident in that. But we still have to navigate interesting and troublesome waters sometimes with people. Not because of who we are and what we're doing as talents, but because of people's hardwired, predisposed notions. And that's just, that's more of their problem than it is for me. But unfortunately, it does get in the way of my employment sometimes. And that's mm. unfortunate. How we're, do we change we're face that? it too? Oh, we do. We do. We're but face I, it, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a minority thing, you know. But I, I think it's probably, especially during this George Floyd incident just recently, um, that was so disturbing. And that was part of the reason I felt so strongly that we needed to have you on our stage, even if you can't be there in a live setting. But we sure. need to have a conversation about that in our industry. And we need to figure out how do we change this? Because it, it isn't right. So right. what are your ideas? What are some things that we can do? I think some things that we can do is basically stop what I call remixing the topic, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of Black lives mattering more or Black lives mattering most. It's just Black lives matter too. And I'm so sick and tired of people redirecting the conversation to something else. You know, Antifa or, you know, George Floyd was doing a counterfeit dollar thing at the store. It, you're directing, George Floyd is, is just but one of many people that this has mm-hmm. happened to, right? And right. this is a through line that could be drawn all the way back to days of slavery, through Emmett Till, through um, Rodney King, to George Floyd, to Breonna Taylor to um, Armad Aubrey, it just continues to go on and on and on. I see people trying to get into the weeds and the semantics of, well, he wasn't really a good person. Or this, 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 why didn't they just listen? Why didn't they just, okay, well, we kneel peacefully at football games and our mothers are called, we're called sons of, okay, by people that are in charge. And then we're called unpatriotic. 
and we're not doing it the right way. We protest and we're disrupting. I am 100% against vandalism. I am 100% against violence of any kind. But people are angry and they're frustrated because we can't seem to get the point across from a peaceful position. And I want us to continue pursuing that. And I'm seeing more and more people of every color, especially more and more white people, sometimes outnumbering the African-Americans who are in these protests, these, mm-hmm. in these marches, um, which is very encouraging. That wasn't quite the case when Martin Luther King was doing the civil rights movement in the 60s. But I think that one thing we can do is recognize the, the spirit behind what's happening and not get into the semantics of what the details are about who is happening to, but more about what it means. And I posted about this on my Instagram a few weeks ago. Um, I used the analogy of 10 toes. If you have 10 toes on two feet and you break one of your toes, your entire body will feel the pain of that broken toe. Mm-hmm. The, br- the breaking of that toe does not cancel out the value of the other nine toes. They all have value. No one said they didn't. But right now, this particular toe is broken. And until it's mended and fixed, the other nine toes will not be walking properly. You will be hobbling, you're behind from one place to the next until you get that toe mended in a cast or whatever it takes to get it fixed. Different parts of our society are broken. And we're not the only part that's broken. African Americans are just one part of our society who are broken, right? Um, women are broken. They're, they're taken advantage of. They're abused. They're mistreated. They are subject to gross discrimination in the workplace and and everywhere else. Brown people, Latinos, Asians, they're feeling it too. All these different minorities, which really are the majority of who the United States of America really Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. they're all going through these different um, breaking points. So if people stop looking at from the angle of why is this particular community, why do the black people need so much attention? The toe is broken. And when your toe is broken, it's communicating to you, I'm broken and until you fix me, we're not going to walk straight. You can ignore me all you want. You can continue to gloss over the situation. But until you fix me, you will continue to feel the pain. Again, I do not endorse violence or vandalism. But when people are in pain, they act out. I mean, they just, they just do. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, fix it. And if it's not going to be us, it's going to be someone else. It'll be the Jewish community. It'll be the, the Latino community. Every community that's, that's marginalized in this country feels that pain at some point or another. With the Jewish community, they were put through an entire holocaust of pain. But unlike them, when they came into the States because of their lighter complexions, they could assimilate into society. They could accumulate generational wealth. My people were brought here from Africa. We didn't get that chance. This is not makeup. This is always brown. It just stays on. So even if people have gone through something, you can't compare them to other people's pathway. So I'm saying all of this to say, it's not so much about the individuals and and, and who they were before they were put to death. The fact is they were put to death because of what they look like. Mm -hmm. And if people can just approach it from an angle of, of selfishness, recognizing that this could be me. That's how societies fall, Gail. One group of people are eliminated by genocide by another mm-hmm. to exterminate a group. And then there's nothing left. So people just need to look at that from that angle. And I think if they do that, and I, and I see it happening, I do think that some progress can be made. Well, we need to make progress. 
This is long overdue and it's something that needs to be addressed. And I'm so grateful that you're talking openly about that with me and that it's going to start a conversation that will continue, hopefully in our industry, to see how we can support and change what's happening because it's not right. Yeah. So I'm so appreciative that you're talking about that. So let's talk about some of the other challenges. I think we can talk about all the good things. Everybody can talk about all the good things and that it's wonderful to have those good things. But I think we learn the most from the challenges we have in our life. And you've shared several already. So how do you see COVID affecting your business and what the next year, year and a half looks like for you? How are you approaching it? Well, we were practicing social distancing long before COVID-19 hit. And I sit up in the angle of utilizing technology, Gail, in a way to communicate our design projects and our proposals to our clients. We work with clients from all over the world. We've had clients calling us from Shanghai, from Germany, Johannesburg, South Africa, um, and throughout the States and Canada. And so I can't jump on a plane right now and go look at the wallpaper scene in this living room with your contractor and give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down, you know, at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. So we've been using, you know, Google Docs and Zoom and FaceTime and other technological platforms for years before COVID-19 hit to communicate with our clients and our contractors and our builders. So when COVID hit, it was easy for us to continue working because we were already working on that level to begin with. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, I think the one boon that our industry will get from this is being able to rely more on technology. Uh, clients who are business people have been using, you know, platforms like this, like Zoom, forever. They're ready to speak. They'd rather not come to your office if they can help it. Or, you know, they'd mm-hmm. like to just jump on a call, look at, you know, this cool pillow and make a decision remotely and get on with, with their lives. So I think that as a, as, a, as, a, as a community, we think we need to get in front of them and feel the fabrics and feel the handle of the velvet. That might be the case. But I think that clients right now are going to be much more willing to make decisions long distance through virtual decision making. And I think that the designers have to update and upgrade. If you've been in the field for, you know, 20, 30 years and maybe you're not, you know, savvy with the technology, now's the time. Because guess what? You don't have a choice. Before now, I think there was a constituency of designers who could kind of skirt around getting on technology and still have their clients and, and just go visit them in person and lay fabrics on the table. Those days are at least temporarily gone. And so if you want your business to remain afloat, you're going to have to ask your nephew, your grandchild, your daughter, somebody to teach you how to do it. And they're making it very easy as far as technology to get acclimated to that. So it's, it's, been, it's been okay. And I think that people are really sick of their homes. Gail, they've been trapped in them for four or five months now. They hate their houses. They hated them before COVID-19 hit, but now they absolutely abhor them now. <laughs> you know? <Right>. And so they're <laughs> calling us. And yeah. So they're calling right. us. That I, I have to change this room. I have to update these window treatments. I have to change this paint color. And we've been very busy. So um, I think we'll be okay. These are first world problems. And fortunately, the design industry, the first world luxury commodity item. So I think as long as we are willing to meet clients halfway with meeting them on their terms, like through virtual communication versus in person, we can still thrive during this time period. 
Well, I've definitely seen that. And I, I coach all across the country and a little bit out of the country as well. And all of my clients, for the most part, are as busy or busier than they were before COVID hit. So mm-hmm. it has changed quite a bit. And I think we do have a lot of potential. But um, what about a year from now, year and a half from now? What's your crystal ball for the industry? Oh my God. I hope this is over. Within a year. <laughs> Let's hope. I really do. I hope we have a vaccine. I hope we have a treatment. I am not going to get on any political soapboxes. This is not through the time or the platform for that. But I will say that we are one United States, right? So if I get into a swimming pool and there's a hundred people in the pool and someone pees in the pool, you pee in the pool for all of us, right? It's just the way how it works. Um, things travel. So in the United States of America, we have to take wearing a mask and all the, the, the protocol seriously because we're all in the pool together. And as we're seeing, even right now, like in New York and Michigan, we've cooled off up here. And now in the South, they're on fire. People travel by plane back to New York, and now now we're back on fire. So it's not my place to decide and determine how the government moves forward with the states. But I do know that as designers who are in the public eye, we have a responsibility of communicating safety protocols for our clients. And that sets an example, even for our clients who may, for whatever reason, politicize this whole thing. It shows them that we value their help, and we certainly value ours. We have a sign on our door at our office here in Michigan. You come to us. We're going to take a temperature with the infrared temperature uh, taker right at the door. Don't, if you're over 100, bye. Don't even come in here. <laughs> right. And, and, and my staff, too. Yeah. Um, so I think that that will be the biggest lesson over the next year. I don't think it's going to be over within a year. I do think we'll still be learning from it. But I think that the biggest lesson will be what we've learned as a country through all of this. COVID-19, the social unrest, 2020 has been the biggest mirror. Uh, And I think a year from now, we'll be reflecting on what's happening right now. And we'll see, have we evolved as a species, as a country, to be better towards one another? From a racial relations standpoint, from a health standpoint, do we really care about our fellow man? They say the mask protects both me, and if you wear one, it protects you as well. People are like, I'm not wearing a mask because basically I don't care what happens to other people. Well, that's a problem. So I think 2020 is saying, I'm going to teach you a lesson, humankind. You've got to learn to come together because guess what? You're all in the pool forever together. And we're going to figure this out one way or the other. I don't know how many more people have to die, whether it be through social unrest, police brutality, or by COVID. But we're, get- we're, getting, a- we're getting a clear memo. Uh, from that from that memo librarian. Hopefully we get the point. I agree completely because I do think there's a lot for us to learn from this. I think we can be better people. For mm-hmm. sure. Every single one of us can be better. So I, I just really commend you for the way you've handled yourself and the way that you've communicated your thoughts because they're very much about bringing people together versus creating more diversity. So right. thank you for that. Yeah, yeah sure. So let's go back to a little bit of business just for a few more minutes and talk about innovation because that's one of our topics for this genius exchange that people are going to hear this and see this video. And how have you incorporated innovation in your business? Well, we've definitely been doing the social distancing. So we've Mm -hmm. rearranged our seating arrangements here in the Mm -hmm. office. One woman is working from home now virtually because she can just to give us six more feet. 
uh, space between people. We've been moving a lot of our colorboard technology to virtual um, platforms. So one of my assistants, Olivia, I have her uh, collecting memo samples, and we have these buckets, right, that we have in the studio where um, there's files in each, uh, representing each room, and in that file are the file, all the fabric samples that we're using in that project. We're not going to do away with the buckets, but we are graduating to a virtual bucket, if you will, where basically by room through Google Docs and other technology, all the fabric samples uh, are there online. So I can see them from anywhere versus having to fly all the way back to Michigan from my New York office or having to go to the New York Design Center to grab a fabric. She's taking the fabrics directly off the websites like Kravit or Schumacher and putting them into a Google Doc with the skew information, the parameters, you know, the, the, the composition of it, and where we're using it on the project. Um, and that's made it much more easy for us to do more work because in case of COVID-19 things, whether it's in Michigan again or New York, we go back underground, we can't stop work. Um, so we've been doing some innovation along those lines, trying also to get more uh, attuned to doing more presentations with our clients virtually, getting them to graduate to Google Docs, um, which has been very helpful. Um, so they can see the fabrics, see the color boards, see things laid out, make notes, make adjustments, make observations. So that's that's been good. Um, what else? Social media. Um, we definitely have seen a huge spike in terms of referrals for business from our social media, in particular Instagram. Um, I get calls from literally all over the world mm. from, from clients through Instagram. So for those who may be wanting to wait until they get a certain project published through a magazine uh, to see, get more exposure, unfortunately, our, a lot of our magazines are cutting back as far as the amount of uh, issues being published every year. And so what we've been doing is photographing our clients' homes in two different ways. One for for publishing, scouting shots and whatnot for the editors to look at. But also, you know, dressing a room with fresh flowers and really setting it in such a way that maybe we know we're not going to have it published, but we're shooting it in a way that it was good for Instagram. And that keeps the content fresh online and that keeps your followers entertained and engaged with you. And um, putting a lot of thought into the captions, explaining the reasoning behind my decision-making process. Mm -hmm. Why did I choose this trim? Why did I choose that finish? People love that. Designers love it too. But we've gotten a lot of clients who say, you know, I've just followed you for so long. I look at all my saved uh, images in my Instagram folders and you have like the majority of my favorite saved tiles. Can I work with you? And so I think that designers need to really start looking at Instagram and social mm -hmm. media as, a, as an additional arm of business expand their brand mm. are you starting to do more instagram lives and facebook lives have you incorporated more of that into what you're doing yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have um yeah you know I, it's funny I, I i'm working with uh one of my friends on a, on a on a podcast and she sent over her questions and one of the questions was um what do people uh, assume or think of you and what is the real answer to that question? Like, what's the perception versus what is the reality? What do you wish people could know about you? And I put down, I'm at, people think I'm extroverted, but I'm actually really shy. And so that doesn't come across maybe in a, in a venue like this, but I really am very private and very shy. And so the Instagram lives and the FaceTime lives and all the different lives 
We have nine lives. Um, <laughs> it has been an adjustment for me because I am so shy and so private. And but it's something that your followers love. They love being able to ask you questions. They like being able to come on and say, you know, I have a, a choice between two paint colors. What do you think? And I'm like, oh, I haven't seen your house, but you know, I'll just pick one. You know, um, <laughs> and don't sue me if it doesn't work out. You know, <laughs> right. but, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 it's the new reality. It's the new thing. Ah, great. Well, I see that you also have some big things afoot, too, with Rizzoli. You've got a brand new book coming out, and you can't tell me the name of it, I know. But I'm so <laughs> excited for you because that is a whole other level that when you get to that level of having a book, uh, you have arrived, right? Yeah. It's like the billionaires that have their islands. <laughs> you arrived when you have your book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been, Gail, it's been a lot of fun. Um, the family at Rizzoli has been incredibly welcoming and a, a true joy to work with. The book will be, it's going to be something. And I'm not just saying it because I'm working on it. If it wasn't my book, I'd be like, wow, this is a really, they have, such a strong team and you have to really approach it with a great deal of humility because the way how you may say things as a designer um, and doing a room is not the way things should be laid out from uh, a journalistic or editorial point of view. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, I think this room should go here. I think, and they're like, well, actually we think it should go here, here and here. And here's the reason why. And you're like, oh my God, I'll just sit back and shut up and just let you people do what you do best. You know, a <laughs> right. hundred years into it. Um, but it's going to have a very, it, there's nothing, there won't be anything quite like this one. It's going to be, a, it's going to be very different from my, my colleagues. And mm-hmm. um, it's going to be, I think, a bit more, I think sometimes people associate tomes with being very, you know, very, you know, peppy lip hill and just very, you know, couture. And it'll have elements of that. But, you know my story and your listeners now know it as well. I didn't come from that, right? I was Cinderella. I came from the ashes. And so the mm. book will be an every man, every woman type of book. It will appeal to those who are the 1%. It'll appeal to those who are the 99%. Um, because I think design should be accessible to everybody. And there's going to be fun takeaways and it's going to have, it's, I can't give too much away, but I am absolutely positively thrilled at how it's, how it's taking shape. We've got a really great team putting it together. Incredible. Well, Corey, you are such a delight. And thank you so much for taking your time to have this conversation with me. I really appreciate all that you've brought to everyone else. And your authenticity and your genuine heart has come through loud and clear. Well, thank you for having me. I'm sorry I got too long-winded. I do, I do monologue sometimes. So. Oh, you're, you, you did a beautiful job. Thank you so much and continue all of your success. You deserve every bit. Thank you. And same to you, Gail. Thanks for having me on today. My Stay pleasure. safe and so healthy. Take care. You Bye. Bye. Corey, it's been a pleasure meeting with you today. Thank you for sharing your insights and inspiration with our design community. You can see Corey's incredible work over at CoreyDamonJenkins.com. And you can also follow him on Instagram at CoreyDamonJenkins. Thanks so much. And we'll see you guys next week.